saw a young boy kneeling off to the side of a, a room after youth group and he was praying really, really hard. As the pastor came closer to the boy, he was surprised to hear the boy saying, Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. After the boy had finished praying, the pastor's gone up to him. He says, you know, young man, I was so pleased to see you praying so hard. But I couldn't help overhear you saying something like, Tokyo, Tokyo. He says, what was that about? The boy says, well, I've just finished my geography test in school and I've been praying as hard as I can that God would make Tokyo the capital of France. Who thinks he's got a shot? I don't think he's got much of a shot, but that's cool. I'm going to read a portion of Scripture, then I'm going to pray for the message this morning. And I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 46. It says this, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Tokyo, to- no, sorry, wrong one. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from p- prayer, And went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Heavenly Father, I'm about to dig into some stuff that is likely to have a reaction in people's hearts. It's likely to bring things to the surface that have been laying dormant for such a long time. And I pray that as I do, Holy Spirit, you help us to deal with that stuff. I pray right now that your truth illuminates your heart, your passion, your love, your grace, your strength, your power in and through us as we talk about this stuff. So Father, I thank you for that you've given me the grace to speak this message this morning. And I thank you that life will result from it in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. You know what, I, I, I believe in prayer. I absolutely believe in prayer. It's one of the most powerful weapons that as Christians that we have. Prayer can give us the power to change so much in and around our lives. I believe that, I've seen that, and I know that it's true. But I also know that there's been times where prayer will not change what's going to happen. God can do whatever he wants to do, and he can change whatever he wants to change, but let's face it, Tokyo is probably always going to be the capital of Japan, not France. So when we look at our passage today, when Jesus asked for this cup to be taken from him, it wasn't about God answering yes to the prayer and then taking the cup from Jesus, but rather a no and something that Jesus had to walk through. This morning I want to talk about prayer that lays a hold of God. I want to talk about prayer that lays hold of God. Have you ever asked yourself why God doesn't answer our prayers? What do we do when his answer to our prayer is no? 
What do we do when he doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want him to? Why do we even pray when we're pretty sure that he's not going to change a given circumstance or a situation? In Luke 22, 41-42, it says, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Everyone say cup. Everyone say cup. It says, not yet, yet not my will be done, but yours be done. Jesus prayed for a cup to be taken from him. What is this cup that he talks about? To be honest, I never truly understood what that cup represented until recently. In Isaiah 51 verse 17 it says, Awake, awake, rise up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. And you have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes men stagger. Jeremiah 25 verses 15 to 16 says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath. The cup that Jesus asked to be spared from was the cup of God's wrath. The reason Jesus came to the earth, the reason that he took the form of a man, the reason that he preached and he taught and he healed crowds for over three years whilst he walked the earth, was to come to this very point in his existence. He came to die for us. He came to be our substitute to pay the price for our sin. That's why he came. Jesus came to drink the cup of God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to taste it for ourselves. He, that's why he was born. That's why he came. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And now just hours before the deed is to be done, Jesus prays, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Not my will be done, but yours be done. The book of Matthew goes into greater detail telling us Jesus didn't just pray this prayer once. He prayed it three times, virtually word for word. Father, take this cup from me. Did Jesus think that his prayer would change his future? Did Jesus believe that there was some other way to get the job done? I really don't think he did. So why pray the prayer? If Jesus knew that the, the Father was going to deny his request, if Jesus knew that the Father was going to say, no, no, sorry, you've got to drink this cup, if Jesus knew that his prayer wasn't going to change his destiny on the cross, why pray the prayer? Turn to the person next to you and say, why pray the prayer? Why pray the prayer? Why did he pray that prayer? Here may be some help. Because prayer isn't always about changing our circumstances and fixing our problems. Let me say that again. Because prayer is not always about changing our circumstances or fixing our problems. Sometimes prayer is about laying hold of God as we face our circumstances and our problems. It's about taking a hold of him as we have to go through what we're going through. It's about laying a hold of his strength and his courage. It's about laying a hold of his comfort and his peace. It's about laying a hold of his will for our life. Too often, people see prayer as a magic incantation 
abracadabra, and it's all solved. Everything's fixed. My problems have gone away. My circumstances have been fixed. I've no longer got this issue that I'm dealing with. Abracadabra, shazam. It's all over. See, if we, we, we tend to think that if we say the right words, the right way, at the right time, everything gets better. If I can only say this prayer in the right way. You know, I, I, a classic example of this is this, right? I was on my way to visit a guy that was sick. Didn't come to this church, but I knew that he was sick. He was part of the men's ministry that I was, I was, I was going on and, and helping with. And I was riding my motorcycle. My motorcycle was an R1. In other words, it's a thousand cc's of pure, fast motorcycle. I knew how to ride that motorcycle. But in my limited juvenile thinking, I'm thinking, Lord, I am not going to speed right now because I want you to use me to heal this man. Like God's not going to, you know, like, do you understand what I'm saying? The thinking in my mind was, if I be a good boy, God's going to use me to heal this, this man of, of what he was, he was facing. Uh, it's, it's this juvenile thinking that if we pray in a certain way, if we don't break the speed limit on the way to praying for someone who's sick, then God can use us to, to, to answer that prayer because we've been a good boy. You know, I didn't argue with my wife this, way, this morning on the way to work, so God can use me to preach a good word. Maybe not. It's a juvenile faith and a shallow theology to view prayer as if it were a magic talisman. Hello? As parents, we often told our children no. And you're thinking... What horrible parents. I'll tell you what, we've had to tell our grandchildren, no. From time to time, God tells his kids, no. We've all experienced the confusion sometimes and the disappointment when God says no. So why pray? Why do we pray in those moments? Why do we continue to believe that God can do something or will use us in some way to answer a prayer? If we can't always get what we want when we pray, if we, we, uh, like, uh, we can't always avoid danger and pain and sorrow or death, why do we pray? The answer to that is that often prayer does change our circumstance. It does solve a problem. It does work. Prayer comes through for us. We believe God and we pray about it and God answers the prayer. I've seen times when prayer has brought healing, provision and breakthrough in people's lives. I've seen it when, when people have been brought back uh, from the brink of, of death when we prayed. I've seen times when prayer has defied the belief that nothing can, can change here. God's changed that in that moment. I've seen that happen. But I've also seen and experienced times when prayer had a different purpose. We've all likely prayed for people who we thought and we believed they were going to get healed, but they didn't. Or they did maybe in heaven. Recently, we loved and said goodbye to Sinet. Purpose that stands strong in the face of circumstances 
that may not change is what God sometimes asks us to pray. The purpose of prayer is best summed up in the following pro poem that I read recently. Sometimes God stills the storms of the sea, and at other times he stills the storms within me. In other words, he hasn't changed the external circumstances that we're walking through, but he's put a peace. He's put a calm of the storm that we're walking through in our hearts. I'm, I'm, this, this, is, this message to me is, is pretty close and raw to the bone, all right? I'm going to try and get through with that blubbering all over you. Uh, I'm not going to bleed on you. I'm actually going to feed you because I believe that there is power and strength in this message this morning that will give people hope. See, that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus felt a need for that kind of calm and peace on the inside. He knew that the, the Father was not going to take the cup from him. He knew that he was going to have to walk this journey. He was going to have to go the way of the cross. Jesus is withdrawn. He's withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and he's prayed. The Greek word for the, the word withdrew, is, it's, it's in a passive voice. So what that means is that there's care and concern for Jesus himself in the moment that that is spoken. It literally means that he, he was withdrawn. It's as if Jesus were drawn, physically pulled down to, onto his knees to pray. He had to talk to his father. He had to talk to, he had to share the anxiety of what was being laid upon him with his father. It says in verse 44, being in anguish, in other words, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus was in anguish. He was in agony. He was in extreme pain and distress as he's in that moment sitting down kneeling down on his knees. When things get to this point, what do we do? Who do we turn to or who do we turn from? Do we run to God or do we run from God? When, things, when God's not going to answer our prayers, do we continue to believe for him? Do we continue to worship him? Do we continue to give to him? Do we continue to, to gather together? Or do we just turn our back on God because it all gets too hard and God's not come through when I said abracadabra? <clears throat> Jesus turned to his father. He had to pray. He had to pray. He had to pray. There's been times when I knew I just got to pray. It's all I can do. I, there's, I love my wife, Jane. She is an incredible strength to me. I've got to tell you, we walk through some stuff and we do that together. We do it so well. Jane is an incredible strength to me. But there's times when I need more than what Jane can give me. And I can only get that from the Father. I love my wife. I'm married to my wife. She's the most important person in my life. Sorry, you guys. Jane's, that's it. It's just Jane. But there's a person that sometimes it's all I can talk to is him because he sees what I can't articulate with my voice, with my mouth. Sometimes I just, he just knows. He sees my heart. There's nothing else that we could do. The person or the situation that we're going through, it demanded it. It was a moment when only God would do. Where was it that Jesus 
His, his sweat was like this great drops of blood. Was it when he was in Pilate's palace standing before him? Or was it when he was on his way to Golgotha? No. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus, in Hebrews 5, 7, it says, offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. That's where Jesus went. He went to the Father. And he was raw, baby. He was raw. If we'd witnessed this struggle that Jesus had that night, what, would, what, what might have gone through our mind is, well, if he's so broken and distressed when all he's doing is praying, what will he be like when he faces a real crisis? Why, you know, couldn't he approach this whole thing with the calmness and the confidence of his three sleeping mates, Peter, James, and John? They're asleep just over there. And yet, when the final test came and Jesus walked to the cross with courage, his three friends fell apart and they ran away. That's the difference prayer makes. It's the difference that prayer makes. It was at that time of prayer that Jesus was given his strength. It was at that time of prayer that Jesus found the courage. It was at that time of prayer that Jesus his, his, had the power to face the pain, the humiliation and the horror of the cross. That's the kind of prayer that we need to learn how to pray. It's a type of prayer that can give us the ability to face the hard tests of life. It's a hard test of life. There's three keys that I believe that can give us the strength and courage that we need in the difficult times. Number one, honesty. Simple honesty. Simple honesty. Jesus was, his prayer was honest. Jesus, when Jesus prayed in the garden, he was brutally honest. There was no religious platitudes. There was no sugar coating of what he was about to occur. Jesus prayed, Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. He says if, if, he knew all about what was going to happen and, and, he, and he, he knew what had to be done. But he prayed three times, Lord, Father, let this cup pass from me. He was honest. This is not a cup he wanted to drink of, but he only wanted to do not drink that cup if it was the Father's will. There's people who believe that they'll offend God by being too honest with him, by telling him their fears and their disappointments. They're afraid to be open with God to, uh, you know, to question him or to, to talk about their fears, their doubts, their, their struggles. There's people that feel that, that uh, if, if they were to do that, life's already against them. And if they're completely honest with God, they fear that God would turn his back on them at that moment as well. I want to tell you that he never will turn his back on you when you're in that moment. You might feel like you know, you're getting just silence from heaven. I want to tell you that's in the moment he's right there with you. He is there walking this through with you. In fact, you might feel like that there's nothing around supporting you. I want to tell you, if you're not feeling anything supporting you, but it's his hand. His hand undergirds you. You speak on his word, standing, resting on his word. Read the Psalms. Read the raw emotion of David's trials. King David and the other Psalms poured out their hearts before the Lord again and again. 
their precedent actually shows us that we can be honest with God about our hurt, our confusion, everything that's going on until we find ultimate hope in him. There's no place for Christianese niceties in the Psalms. They are raw and they are real. Psalm 88 ends in simply saying that darkness is the only companion that the psalmist has. If that doesn't show us the ability to be honest with God, then I don't know what will. You're going through something. Find a psalm that identifies with where you are because in each of those psalms, quite often you'll find that the person automatically then turns their attention to the good things that God's doing as well in that moment. Honesty in prayer is like a release valve for us. We can be truly honest in our prayer. Therapists understand the need for this, so they'll often spend time in sessions with people trying to get them to be honest about their feelings and their emotions. There's been seasons in my own life when I have been brutally honest with God. And I've joked about it, you know. You get honest with God and all you start to do is look for the big black cloud that's striking lightning left, right and centre. just making a beeline for you so you're going to be a crispy bit on the footpath. And that's sometimes how we think that we can be if we're honest with God. But I want to tell you that nothing like that will happen. When we're honest with God, God knows that that's a person that he can be real with. I've gone to a quiet place and literally cried out to God and it's been in uh, like all the stress, the, the, the emotion, all the feelings, the pain that's on the inside in that moment is released and offered up to God. I've, I've spoken in the last few weeks about being vulnerable with each other, I've said. But what a what better person to be on vulnerable with and open and honest with than God the Father? I understand that simply being honest with God, though, isn't enough. Honesty by itself can actually be dangerous. Honesty by itself can destroy the power that we really want to have in prayer. Why do I say that? Because honesty left to itself, used all by itself, can become an expression of hidden bitterness and anger. And in order to be useful as a key, honesty, to, to you know, access God's strength, this honesty must be coupled with number two, and that's trusting God. It's great to be honest with God, but we've got to trust God in that same moment as well. He, Jesus prayed, he said, Lord, yet not my will, but yours be done. In the midst of storms we find ourselves in, we can honestly ask the question, why? Sometimes we, we've got to ask this question, why? And I think it's a good question. Why is a statement of faith, not an expression of doubt? It presupposes that God exists and that he loves us and that God's in control. We can ask the question, why? It's a good question. Sometimes we need to wrestle with God over some issues. And who knows, at the end when you're still hanging on, you can say, God, I, want, I need you to bless me right now. I need you to bless me right now. 
And it's in the wrestling with God that we learn to trust Him. Suffering causes us to be desperate for God and to press into Him. The, center, the cross is the center of our relationship with Jesus. The cross is where we die. We go there daily. It, it isn't easily. It, normally we, we follow Christ anywhere. We'll, we'll go to a party where he changes the uh, water into wine. We'll go on, for a walk on a sunlit beach where he preaches from a boat. We're happy to go those places with him. To a breezy hillside where he feeds thousands. But to the cross, we dig our heels in and we come screaming and saying, no, no, I don't want to go there. The invitation is so frightening, it's individual and it's an, an, an invitation to go alone. Suffering reduces us to nothing and as Soren Kierkegaard has noted, he says, God creates everything out of nothing. And everything which God is to us, he first reduces to nothing. I'll say that again. He says, God creates everything out of nothing and everything which God is to us, he first reduces to nothing. So to be reduced to nothing is to be dragged to the foot of the cross. It's a severe mercy. When suffering forces us to our knees at the foot of Calvary, we die to ourselves. We cannot kneel there without releasing our pride and our anger, un, you know, letting go of our dreams, of our desires. And this is what coming to the cross is all about. And in exchange, God imparts to us power and a lasting hope. And we rise renewed with his yoke being easy and his burden being light. God reveals more of his love and his power and his peace as we hold fast to the cross of suffering. Jesus said, yet not my will but yours be done. Jesus' prayer was that he pressed into the Father. He didn't run from it. He, he leaned into it. He, he rested in. He, he went to the Father. His prayer had power to give him strength because it hinged, hinged, hinged on, on trusting the Father's will. The prayer that can transform our lives at times of, from weakness into strength are the ones that are less concerned with uh, moving God to our will as they are moving us toward God's. Jane and I have been on a couple of big cruise ships recently. And we watch the deckhands on the ships as they've docked, they've come into to the dock. The, the, the crew on the ship threw the great big rope to those that are standing on the dock. Then inside the boat, these the great big motors that, that uh, uh, pulled on this great, uh, great cable. But oddly enough, the pier didn't come out to the ship. The ship went towards the pier. And that's what prayer does. It pulls us towards God. That's what prayer does. It doesn't pull God down to us, it pulls us up to God. And this is where we learn to say, not my will be done, Lord, but yours. We need to realize that Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane wasn't a prayer of hopelessness and defeat. It was a prayer of surrender to his Father's will. And in that surrender, Jesus found the strength to overcome. Can I just have the worship team up on, uh, on stage, Tar? Ah, it's coming.
My third point, my third key, because my wife is just holding me accountable to make sure that I'm telling the truth when I come up here. She can't put her book away until she's got that third point. Okay? So you're not leaving here until she's got that third point. So point number four. (laughs) Point number three. Number one, we can be honest with God. Number two, we've got to trust God. Number three, the Father loves us with His yes and with His no. He loves us with His yes and with His no. It was when Jesus prayed that prayer that the Father reached down and comforted Him. It was in that moment that the Father reached down and loved him. For an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Father released strength and comfort to his son. God's love for us isn't dependent upon a yes or a no to our prayers because God's love is constant and flows all the time because it comes from who he is, not the answer to a prayer. He loves us on the mountain top and on the valley floor. The Father loved and supported Jesus even when He wouldn't take the cup from Him. Can I say to you this morning, never mistake a no from the Father as a rejection of you as one of His kids. He never will forsake you. He will never leave you. The Bible says that. Many times we've said to our, no to our kids, but never, not once, did we ever stop loving them. The Father sent a supernatural strength to Jesus in Gethsemane, and He'll ensure that we're able to go through what we have to face with Him. If we'll face our situations and circumstances with honesty, with trusting God, knowing that His love never fails, then we can walk with strength and courage through any trial. It's the sort of prayer that lays a hold of God and draws us closer to Him. And I know that many here today, maybe you've prayed prayers and they've not been answered. And you have questions about whether God loves you. I want to tell you this morning that He does. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. But first, we've got to be willing to pray the way that Jesus did for the strength and courage to go through what we've got to go through. In the year 1873, Horatio Spafford, a lawyer from Chicago, placed his wife and four daughters on a luxury liner, the Villa de Havre, sailing from New York to France. He expected to join them in about three or four weeks after finishing up some business, but with the exception of his wife, he never saw them again. The trip started out beautifully, but on the evening of November 21, 1873, the ship was suddenly struck by another vessel and sank in under 12 minutes, with nearly the loss of everybody on board almost. On being told that the ship was sinking, Mrs. Spafford knelt with her four children and they prayed that they might be saved or be made willing to die 
if that was such that it was God's will. And a few moments later, in the confusion, three of her daughters were swept away by the waves while she stood clutching the youngest. Suddenly, the youngest one was ripped from her arms by the waves. And Mrs. Spafford became unconscious and awoke later to find that she'd been rescued by sailors from the vessel that had struck the luxury liner. But her four children were gone, drowned in the ocean. Back in the United States, Horatio Spafford was waiting for news of his family and at last, some ten days later, it came and it was just two words. Saved alone was his wife's message. That night, Mr. Spafford walked the floor of his rooms in anguish, as anyone would have done. But as he shared this great loss with his Lord, did you notice that? He went to God. A peace came over him that indeed surpassed all understanding. And the next morning he told a friend, I'm glad to be able to trust my Lord when it costs me something. Sometime later, as he reflected on the disaster at the sea, he began to sing and wrote this song. through something and there's been no yes or no from God and maybe you've got a no it's in this time that we've got to draw closer to God it's in this time that we need to lean into him it's in this time when we are facing the uncertainty of a yes to the prayers that we've been praying that we actually do trust God. We can be honest with Him in prayer, but we need to be, you know, like trusting God and never, 
misunderstand a no for being a rejection for who we are as his kids. The third, the fourth thing, if I was, maybe another message, but I want you to say that it's never because of a lack of power on God's behalf either, but more about a purpose. Sometimes we need to ask the question why this has happened. Because I think sometimes we need to wrestle with God, and that's fine. God's up for the fa- up, up for the fight. But there's also the question of what do you want me to learn out of this? What is your purpose behind this to help me to get through? And you know what? Sometimes we just need to also be aware that the answer's not going to come. What are you going to do in that moment? What are you going to do in that moment? Are you going to still lift up your hands and say, it is well with my soul? Or do we take that opportunity to say, you know what? I'm over. I'm done. I'm walking out on this. I want to tell you that God wants you to run to Him because He loves you. And that strength for the thing that God wants to build in our lives sometimes is for a purpose. We might not like the process. It might be hard hard to go through. It might be hurtful. But ultimately, God's got a purpose. And us leaving the answer, maybe the unanswered to an unanswered question, with him speaks more about our faith in who he is and about our walk with him than anything else Heavenly Father I thank you for your people today I thank you for your hand upon their lives and I pray that as we take this message to heart that the things that maybe we've been journeying through the questions that we have and the prayers that we've prayed where we've not really gotten an answer from you or we did and it wasn't one we liked. Help us, Lord, in those moments to turn to you. Help us in those moments to lean into you. Help us in those moments to fall into your open arms and to feel your strength around about us as we walk with you through what we've got to walk through. Father, I thank you for your presence upon your people. I pray that as they go today, they go in the strength of the Holy Spirit, knowing that you go with them. And I pray that in the wonderful name of Jesus this morning. Amen. I know that that message is likely to have stirred some stuff up in some people this morning. And so I just want to say that right now, if you would like some prayer, I'd love to pray with you at the front. Otherwise, I pray you have an absolute ripper of a week. You get an opportunity to share with someone in your workplace, in your street, in your school, your university, wherever you go. I pray that you have an opportunity to talk about how good God is and how much He loves you and how much He loves the person that you're talking to and that He wants to reach to them, to touch their heart with His love his grace and his forgiveness. I pray that you have that opportunity.
this week. God bless. Have a great week. If you want some prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Thank you. And there's a prayer meeting at 4 o'clock as well. If you want to come out for some prayer, we're going to be in a season of prayer and fasting uh, today between 4 and 5, which is having a time of prayer.